please, to Acts chapter 14. We'll be reading verses 8 through 20. As you recall, the Apostle Paul is well into his first missionary journey. And our account places him in the city of Lystra, which is in the southern part of Turkey, Turkey, just north of the Mediterranean coast. Beginning at verse 8 of Acts chapter 14. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul looked intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voice saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowds, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. We bring good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and faithful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Permit me to pray briefly for the Lord's blessing upon this reading. Lord, as we look at Paul's example and what we have in Scripture, help us to discern from this truth that might help us, encouragement that might instruct us and counsel us to live more faithfully for you. That is our desire here this morning. Strengthen us with your word in Christ's name. Amen. The two previous cities where the Apostle Paul had preached and ministered, both at Iconium, he preached for some period of time, at least a week, perhaps two, and then persecution began to come. He was leading some people to the Lord who had received good response, and yet there were others who did not like his message, and they threatened to do him and Barnabas harm. So he moved on to Iconium, and again preached there. It was well received again 
until persecution again was threatened. And yet he stayed a little longer there, trying to face it, trying to overcome it with the power of God's word. If you remember last week's message, we saw that faithful preaching is the word of the Lord. Faithful preaching comes with God's authority. Faithful preaching communicates God's truth. But faithful preaching will always divide. There's always going to be people who receive his word, and there's going to be people who reject it. And yet we are called to be faithful in proclaiming it, no matter what the outcome is. What we want to look at this morning is that God's word is of the utmost importance. I don't know if we can answer these questions this morning. They might be subsequent to our message, but we might try and address this a little bit. Why do people hate the word of God so much? Why do the people neglect it so much? The late C.S. Lewis once said about Christianity, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And I would have to agree with that. But I would change one word as well, too, and it would fit. The Bible, if false, is of no importance. But if the Bible is true, it is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. God's word is of utmost importance. It is the most important thing you need to be aware of. His truth, his proclamation, his judgment, his justice threatens every man and woman's eternal existence. But within his word, there is also an offer of grace. There is also a path of mercy. And we find that in Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas had been preaching at Antioch and Iconium. They went first to the synagogues in both those cities. What a great place to go. Let's find some God-believers They might be Old Testament following Moses. They might not know about Christ yet, but let's go there because the message that is in the Old Testament points us to the Messiah that has come. And in both places, he saw good success. And in both places, he still had to stay out of the way of persecution. But after Iconium, he went to Lystra, And he began preaching there. Now Luke records something a little different. He doesn't talk about them going to the synagogue first. They may have. I'm sure when they were at Antioch and Iconium that that he probably did some street preaching there too. But it sounds like in this morning's account, he's already at that point of his ministry in Lystra. And we see that this centers around an event that happened at Lystra. And Luke tells us this because this is what happened and this is how it happened. And this is 
why it happened. The event was a simple mistaken identity. Lystra was known for its temple to Zeus, one of the principal Greek gods. Zeus was the Greek name of their primary god. Hermes was the Greek name of their primary messenger god. If you were to look at the Roman names, it would be Jupiter and Mercury. But during this event, the Apostle Paul preaching, miraculously healing a lame man, giving him the ability to walk, they thought, oh, Zeus and Hermes are here. They are walking among us, and they wanted to make sacrifice. What I would like to see as we examine this event and all of the things around it, God's word has the utmost power to save sinners. God's word has the utmost power to perform miracles. And the third point, and there may be a fourth, third point is it's foolish to ignore the, his power and authority. Simple. Not hard to digest. Now at Lister, reading from our text, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. He sprang up and began walking. Wonderful miracle. But you need to see something here. There's more than a miracle going on. More than a miraculous healing going on. God's word has the utmost power to save sinners, and that is exactly what is going on here. At Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened, is the ESV translation. But another translation says he heard. And Luke is using these words, these verbs, akuo in the Greek. This man heard Paul's message. Remember, we've already cited in previous lessons on, in the study of Acts about Romans, how shall they hear without a preacher? Paul is preaching the gospel, and Luke makes it clear this man heard what Paul was, he listened to him. And Paul looked in this man's eyes, and he could sense a spiritual connection was going on. The Holy Spirit is always involved in salvation. Yes, the Holy Spirit was involved in this man's healing, but don't get tied up or focused in on the healing because this man's eternal soul was redeemed from the bondage of sin as well. You remember when John went, when Nicodemus came to, in John's gospel, when Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus 
He was asking him questions. And the Lord was answering him, telling him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus responded, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Listen carefully. The Lord is teaching a teacher here. He's talking about the Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him and said, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? The work of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of God's word and through the Spirit's sovereign authority to enter into a cold, dead heart and breathe new life into that soul is some incomplete about God's words, utmost power to save sinners. What is going on here with this man who was lame, healed and unable to walk, was also saved, and Paul knew that there was a spiritual connection going on there. The Lord also often taught his disciples in parables, And you may remember the parable of the sower. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up, because they had no depth of the earth. But when the sun was up, and they they were scorched, they began. And because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell on among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Paul was preaching the word, sowing the seed of the gospel, scattering it out among the crowds, and here he saw one land on good soil. The Holy Spirit had already been at work in this man's heart. The lame man's soul was not rocky or hard. It was good soil prepared by the Holy Spirit to receive the seed and bear good fruit. That is precisely what's going on here. When you and I come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus, there's been a lot a lot that's gone on to get us there. We may think it's our decision as we struggle with it, as we weigh it out, as we just am I really, a, do I really want to first? Do I want to leave my sins behind? They have been so much fun. I enjoy them so much. Do I want to follow the Lord? We think that's part of our decision. But the Holy Spirit has already been working in our heart to get us to that point.
God, quoting R.C. Sproul, God just doesn't throw a life preserver to a drowning person. He goes to the bottom of the sea, pulls the corpse from the bottom of the sea, takes him to the bank, breathes into him breath of life, and makes him alive again. That's a truer, more accurate picture of salvation. We aren't just people struggling to keep our head above water. We've already died and perished and sunk beneath the waves. He brings us back to life. God's word is the utmost power to save sinners. God's word is, has the utmost power to perform miracles. And so many of us, oh Lord, I need a miracle. You've probably heard some preachers promise, you give me so much money, you can have a miracle. Please be very careful. Paul told this man, stand upright on your feet, and he sprang up and began walking. God, God led the Apostle Paul to do that because he wanted to show that what he was preaching had God's authority and truth behind it. The Lord Jesus Christ did the same thing. That's, how he used, that's why he used miracles. If you remember the story in Luke's Gospel about the man, the paralytic, Jesus was teaching in the home of a Pharisee, and so many people were in there, you couldn't get in. People were hanging out the windows. Someone broke through the roof and lowered a man right down in front of the Lord. Interrupt the church service, or interrupt the meeting, interrupt the class. And here's this man coming down right in front of the Lord. And in Luke's account, the Lord said, first thing the Lord says to the man, your sins are forgiven. I got to tell you right now, that flew all over the Pharisees, all over the teachers of Israel. This man does not have that authority. No one can forgive sins but God. And the Lord said that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins. And he looked at this man again and said, pick up your bed and walk. I wish I were looking in the window that day. When that man stands up strong, bends over, picks up his mat, rolls it up, puts it on his arm, and he has to high step over the people to get out of the room. Don't focus in on the miracles. Focus in on what has already happened. To affirm God's authority and God's power to the people, the Apostle Paul showed them a miracle. Not that they would focus on the miracle, but to show them the power of God. However, please remember this miracle concerned an earthly thing. If you didn't know what was going on, if you didn't understand it, you're just seeing an earthly thing. This man, his legs were healed. His strength restored. 
that's an earthly thing. Because when that man passed away, his legs passed away with him, but his soul lives eternally. So this is an earthly thing. The true miracle, the true miracle had already happened. The salvation of his soul. The man's cold, dead, sinful heart had already been made new. Not just a miracle to help an earthly life, but a resurrection for eternal life. That's the big difference. Most of us forget that. We keep wondering, when's God going to give me my miracle? And we get angry and bitter toward him because he makes us struggle so much. Where's my miracle? You've already had your miracle. You've already had your miracle. And I don't mean to disappoint you. My miracle? Jesus Christ made my life new. Had he not done it, I would still be on my way to hell forever. I've had, I still struggle with pride. I still struggle with stubbornness. I still struggle with things that I am ashamed to talk about. And had I not been given that miracle of a new birth, I would be oblivious to understand that there was anything wrong with me. Without the Holy Spirit's correction, my own rebellion, even now, would regain strength and overwhelm my life. The miracle in my life was that Christ took a cold, hard, rebellious, stony heart and made it new again. Made it tender again. And if you're a believer, he's done that with you as well. Already, there's your miracle. God's word is the utmost power to save sinners. God's word is the utmost power to perform miracles. And salvation is a miracle. To bring a soul that is dead in sin to new life again is a miracle. We all look forward to, and the Bible teaches, there will be a bodily resurrection. There are going to be people coming out of those graves in the future. But if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's already been one resurrection. The resurrection of your soul. Utmost power to save sinners, utmost power to perform miracles, foolish to ignore his power and authority. Third point, it is foolish to ignore his power and authority. Here's a demonstration of how cold and hard and blind the hearts of men are. Verse 11 of our text, when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, Paul couldn't understand what was going on at first. He could tell they were getting excited. The gods have come down to us like in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus. Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. 
This is a demonstration of how dark the heart of man is. Gives us, God gives us good things, and we tend to worship the good things and not him. God gives us good things, and we tend to worship the good things and not him. In verse 14, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out to the crowd. They were grieving. That was the old Hebrew way of painful sorrow. They tore their garments, crying out, Men, why are you doing these good things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. The Apostle Paul tried to tell tell them, look, we're just like you. We are starving beggars showing you where to find food. Do not do this. You are worshiping idols. This is a picture of what, how stone-cold hearts respond to God without the Holy Spirit. He reminds them of the goodness of God. God's grace, in one sense... In one sense, in order that this world may progress and remain, in one sense, God's grace is universal to all people. He has given us rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying our hearts with food and gladness. He does that with the whole world, not just Christians. Matthew 5.25, Matthew 5.45, part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord himself said, That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Describing the goodness of God, in one sense, is universal around the world. Psalm 149.5.9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. God has been good. But you and I know throughout history we've known that there are peoples and cultures who have worshipped the sun, they've worshipped the moon, they've worshipped the stars. They worship trees, they worship the whales, they worship the earth, they worship sex. But they won't worship God. They worship the good things he gives, but they don't acknowledge him. That's what's going on here. And I, I, I kind of think the Holy Spirit is guiding Luke to put this in here, show him this is how miraculous your salvation is. Without the Holy Spirit quickening your heart, quickening is an old King Jimmy name for resurrection, new life. 
new creation, without the Holy Spirit making your soul new, you would be just like them. Wouldn't you? God is good to us all. Take a breath. That was from him. Each and every one of us have lived long enough to hear about a story where someone walking across a room, down a hallway, or sitting there, gone just like that. Every breath we take is from his grace. Every breath we take is showing us his patience, his long-suffering. God is good to us all. Paul and Barnabas were grieved over what the people were doing. They tried to correct them. They tried to rebuke them. In verse 18, it says, Even these words were scarcely restrained from the people, scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice. And what we've already been saying, like the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. We get a clue of what was going on here. We, we understand that man's heart is dark and he's going to worship anything but God if he's left on his own. But this also gives us a clue here of what also may have happened. In verse 19, it says, The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Remember, Paul and Barnabas had already been preaching there. They were followed. And having persuaded the crowds, they, they stirred them up. They got them angry. Do you know what they said back in Iconium? Do you know what they said in Antioch? They got many of the people angry at Paul and Barnabas. And they dragged them out of the city, or Paul especially, and tried to stone them to death. In fact, they thought they had stoned them to death. The Bible says, supposing that he was dead, they just brushed the dust off of their hands, turned around and left them there, and went back into the city. But when the disciples, those who had, he had led to the Lord, those who were faithful to the Lord there, gathered about him. He rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. It's really quite remarkable. I wish I could spend some time here. Maybe I will next week. We get so intimidated if our next door neighbor gets angry at us for trying to share the gospel. They were throwing rocks at Paul enough to render him unconscious. He gets up and goes right back into the city. We don't know here whether he did any more preaching, but we do know that he went on to the next city to do some preaching. He wasn't easily intimidated.
I'm going to speak just a moment, and this, I cannot say right now, these are just some of my thoughts. This is not, I can't say this comes from the text. I cannot say these next words come from Scripture. I'm just trying to understand, if you want to call this, these next few moments opinion, I'm okay with that because it probably is. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. But I had asked earlier, why do people hate the Word of God so much and and why do they hate Christianity so much? We see the persecution around the world. We see it threatened even in the United States. And I began thinking and scratching my my head over this for the last few weeks. And I remember... Growing up as a child, we've all had experience with bullies. Maybe some of you were a bully. I don't know. I never could understand it why some guys in the neighborhood would just want to, just for the pure sport and pleasure of it, they just seem to enjoy, uh, enjoy annoying people, pushing them around. Making demands of them. Intimidating them. And since I've grown up, I've come to understand that there are people who feel like they just need to be in control. And to get control, they, will, they just have a natural tendency to know how to push the buttons on some people and keep them in their place. They're still bullies, they've just grown up. They've refined their social skills so much that they can think they can do some things and get away with it. It is tragic that most of these people become politicians. But what you see here is sinful pride in full-blown rebellion to God. I will be in control. And I will make everyone around me know that they are controlled. But I am here to tell you today, you are not in control. The bullies are not in control. The politicians are not in control. God is in control. His word has the utmost authority. His word has the utmost power. And it is foolish to ignore his power and authority. A God who is all love, all grace, all mercy... No sovereignty, no justice, no holiness, and no wrath is just an idol. We see in this world a lot of people who profess faith in God, even profess faith in Jesus, who think that he is all love, all grace, all mercy. And they heed no attention or reverence for his sovereignty or his justice or his holiness. They've just made an idol. And there is no power in that kind of Jesus. Yeah, I use the name. There's no power in that kind of Jesus. There are a lot of people who have a Jesus as their Savior, but he's not the Jesus of Scripture.
Dr. Late Ar Dr. R.C. Sproul once said that the kingdom of God is not of the people, by the people, or for the people. The kingdom of God is ruled by a king, and God does not rule by the consent of his subjects, but by his sovereign authority. His reign extends over me, whether I vote for him or not. And I mean to tell you right now, his reign and his rule and his authority extends over Joe Biden, whether you voted him for him or not. He is still in control. It may not look like it, but he is still in control. What he is doing, he is doing, and he is doing it for a, for a purpose and for his glory. God's word is the utmost power to save sinners. It is the utmost power to perform miracles. And please remember that foremost miracle is the salvation of your soul. To conquer the rebellion in your heart, that was miraculous. And it is foolish to ignore his power and his authority. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, for this day and for this time together and help what meager little sayings were offered here this day to bear fruit. We are in awe of your word. We are in awe of the Lord who saves us. May we, with contrite hearts, repent and follow him faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.